Hey everyone, welcome to City Church OTR's Sermons Podcast. Here you will find all of the sermons and teachings that are given at our Sunday services. We also have our original City Church OTR podcast, which has more conversations, interviews, and more interactive content. As always, we would love to meet you. Check out our Instagram to see what we're doing this week and our website, citychurchotr.com, to meet one of our pastors. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody. Honored to be with you, and um, thank you for inviting us to be a part of your family here at uh, City Church. It's, uh, we've been coming off and on for a few months. And I, I said first service when we first came, <clears throat> my wife and I have been in ministry for about 37 years together, as long as we've been married. And we first came to the church, we always look around to, at a church building just to kind of see what it, you know, the makeup of a church. And they say, ah, a lot of young people, good, good, good. So where, where are the old people? And we realized it was us. So uh, we were the oldest people in the building, I think, at that day. So seasons of life do change, you know, and that's part of it. But that's all right. We're glad to be a part uh, of this family and awesome. I will say as we speak, if you have a Bible, uh, Jonah chapter 1 is what we're going to do today. If you have on that, on your phone, we'll, we'll, all the scriptures will be up there as well want to do that, but let's start with prayer as we just ask the Holy Spirit to teach us today. Father, we are grateful for this family that gathers in this place to do mission, and we pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit, we know His presence is here among us, and we pray, God, that You would bless our hearts to be open, to be taught by Your Word, that uh, the Spirit will give us new things today, and that our lives will be changed because of His work in us. So bless us, Lord. Let us be open. Let the devil not be present. We cast him out of this place in our hearts and minds and the things that he clouds over us. We don't want him here. And we pray that, Lord, by the blood of Christ in his name. Amen. Well, today we're going to talk about life on mission and just kind of comparing block ministries. And block stands for believing and living one Christ. My wife and I founded that in 1998 on the west side. And so for the last 23, going on 24 years, that's what we've been doing and trying to learn and figure it out. By no means today, please don't think that I have the answers. I'm still learning uh, and we are still learning, but we want to share what we do know and what we've learned through Jonah. It's better if you don't have to make all those mistakes yourself. I'm going to tell you that up front. It's less painful. Uh, And sometimes it's best not to learn by doing, it's learn by watching. So I'm going to encourage that today. Uh, But we're going to talk about life on mission and that you were made for a purpose and that nobody in this room was built by God to just live and be a consumer and do what uh, we always think we want to do. But we are built for a bigger purpose. We are built for a mission uh, by God himself created for that to do his work. And I think we don't want to miss that. Uh, We don't want to overplay that either, but we also understand that we each are built for that. Not a person in this room is not built for that. Not a person created is not built for that purpose. And we want to encourage that today. So we're going to look at three New Testament scriptures as we start. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Just what I was talking about, which God prepared, this is cool, beforehand so that we would walk in them even before we were born. I believe that God had called us to these things. Uh, Mark chapter 8 says this, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, Jesus says the gospels will save it. And that's important. We're not built for our purposes. We are built for God's purposes. And I want to challenge you in that thinking today. And lastly, Paul talks about in Acts chapter 20, 
his whole purpose of life. I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course, and this is important, and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of God's grace. So we can see all through the New Testament, Jesus talks about it, Paul talks about it, that we are built for this work that God has made us for. So Jonah chapter 1 is going to give us a quick picture of that. I'm going to challenge you with it. I hope the Lord does that through the Holy Spirit today. But to be on mission with God is very simply this, is to breathe for, pray for, long for, sacrifice for, and live for what is closest to God's heart. And that is to bring the broken back into relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And we are all broken. We have all been on that journey. Some of us still there. Uh, but our neighbors where we live, all around us are those who need to know the Lord. And that is our mission. And we have to change the way we live life a little bit to really focus on what we're called to do. So a little bit of my story, and I'll tell it quickly. Uh, born in Kentucky, uh, central Kentucky on a dairy farm, tobacco farm. That's right. Um, I learned English at an early age in Kentucky, so it was one of our, it was our first language, and so uh, still working on that. But a wonderful place to grow up, grew up in the church, had a great family. My goal in life, honestly, was to be a veterinarian. I love working with large animals, horses, cattle, uh, all that stuff. So all through high school, and I was a part of the FFA, if anybody knows what that is. No? Yes? Okay, thank you. Future Farmers of America, thank you. And um, loved it, great piece of our life. So uh, for four years, that was a major part of what I did. I had a, had a scholarship to Western Kentucky University to do veterinarian work. So in my senior year, I was getting ready to graduate. My mom came to me, who's a very godly woman, as well as my dad. And she said, Dwight, would you do me one favor and go to Johnson Bible College in Knoxville, Tennessee? Would you feel do that just for one year, just for your mother? I don't know how you respond to that, <laughs> but when mom comes to you after she's raised you for 18 years and says, just do me one thing, right? What are you going to do? I said, mom, I'll tell you what, I'll do, I'll do one year because most of your one year studies can be transferred into anything else you do. So I went to Knoxville, did one year at Johnson Bible College, and that's where I always say God completely screwed up my life, and I never got out of Johnson. Uh, met my sweet wife there, Stephanie. Uh, we were married there. Started our journey in ministry and have never looked back in 37 years. And so I never got back to Western Kentucky University and never got into veterinarian school. And that was because that was not my mission. Uh, God kind of pulled me in. So there are people in your life, and I'd like for you to think about that. There are people in my life, like my mother and my father. Uh, I think of Peggy Joe, and I always said people in Kentucky have two first names, so just so you know that. Uh, so Peggy Joe was this lady, was just a, a woman in our church. We didn't have youth ministry. We didn't have any of that kind of stuff. She just spent time with us as kid, as high school kids. And then Mike Boer was a pastor that poured into me. He baptized me. And just those people I can name more than that, but those four really made a big difference. I'm sure you can name people in your life that are pouring into you that help guide you on your mission and get you started. Uh, I pray that that's part of the case. And I go back to the point of when I graduated from college, I was being ordained, and my mom came up to me, and she's just crying, as moms do. She's so proud. She says, I just want to tell you, do I am so proud of you that you're a pastor. I said, well, thanks, Mom. And she said, I have prayed for you since the day you were born to be a pastor. I said, well, it would have been nice to have a little heads up on that. That's all I'm saying. Because <laughs> I was heading this direction. Uh, but obviously, God was listening to her and not paying a bit of attention to me. 
So I will say there are people in my life and your life that are valuable. And I will say that you sitting in this room are those people for others in your neighborhood when you're living on mission. You become those people for those people that you live around. Don't take lightly your call because you pour into things that change people's path the rest of their life. So let's jump into Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. And uh, you can follow along if you have your outline there, but we'll go this route. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, we're going to stop there, because number one, my life's mission comes from God's word. So you're asking yourself, what is my mission in life? What is my purpose in life? Well, first we have to start in this word of God. If you're not in the word of God, I'm going to challenge you today that it's going to be a little bit more difficult for you to find your mission. Now, mission comes through the Word of God in different ways. Sometimes it's your mother praying for you every day of your life. Sometimes it's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. The Scripture talks about there are visions and dreams that we have that sometimes give us the words of the Lord. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. Hopefully today this sermon will speak to you, this, this teaching. Hopefully that people that you trust and mentor you spiritually pour into you and speak into you. But they all are coming from the word of the Lord. Our mission comes from God's word. It doesn't come from outside sources that aren't leading our life in a missional direction. So be careful with that. But Jonah hears a word from the Lord and jumps into it. Stephanie and I took a retreat probably, it wasn't probably, I know exactly when it was. It was spring of 1998. We did a silent retreat in San Francisco. A friend of mine who was mentoring me brought 20 of us out to San Francisco, gave us a passage of scripture out of John chapter 1 and said, don't talk for a week. <laughs> oh, that's tough, you know. And uh, we went through a lot of, of the Desert Father teaching on how to read scripture, how the breathing patterns, a lot of weird stuff for a Kentucky boy. Uh, thinking, I don't know, as long as we're not smoking anything weird, dude, I'm, I'm in, all right? That's all I'm saying. Just... I'm learning new stuff. So we really went through a full week of no, no IT, no television, no phone, no nothing, and no talking. I mean, we ate our meals quietly. It was just the weirdest thing. But after a week of this time together, Stephanie and I came back together and said, what is God telling you? And there's one phrase out of John chapter 1 that's mentioned a couple of times, and that phrase is come and see. And that was a phrase that both of us said, I feel like God is saying to both of us come and see. We had been struggling for several years on whether or not we should be in located church ministry or on the mission field. <clears throat> she really was talking about going overseas. I was really pushing for local missions. And, but we, we had five kids under the age of 10. We were pretty settled after 13 years of ministry in a local church. Started to get that rhythm and we weren't sure whether or not we should do that. But on that day, on that moment, we both knew when we shared the words come and see that we were called by God ordained for a mission different than what we were doing not better than not lesser than just different so we came back to Cincinnati we resigned (laughs) Uh, left in September of that year in 1998 started block ministries with zero money support Uh, had a board had a nonprofit, and no idea what in the world I was doing but we knew it was what was the mission we were called to be 23 years ago. So number one, John, Jonah chapter one, verse one, your mission comes from the word of the Lord. Secondly, in Jonah chapter one, verse two, your remission requires a step of faith. In other words, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it because their wickedness has come up before me. So it takes a step of faith. And why do I say that? Well, Nineveh for Jonah 
is going to be a step of faith. Jonah comes from a very, very, very small village. Nineveh is 555 miles, 550 miles away from where he lives. Now, the only way to get there at this time was to walk or ride a donkey. And if you've not done either one of those that far, neither one are comfortable. Long way away. Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria. So if you don't know much about Assyria in the Old Testament, they were the they were known as the worst wicked group of people around at the time. They had destroyed Israel a couple times. They were not very kind. The city, though, was huge. It took three days, studies show, three days just to walk through this city. It was massive for this time period. So it's a big city. It's far away. They are the enemy of Israel, which Jonah is from Israel. He hates them. Okay. Uh, this is going to be a step of faith for this guy to get up out of his chair and go do this job. So in your life and my life, it also takes a step of faith. My wife and I had five kids under the age of 10. We did not know how much we would even make the first year we took out on this ministry. The church was kind enough to give us six months of our salary. Great gift from the church that I was working on the West side. And so, but you think that's going to last a long time? Six months goes like that. And all of a sudden you're going, uh Oh, uh, what's the second job I need to take? But the Lord provided and did some unbelievable things. We, it's funny, our kids as they got older said, Bad, we never knew we were actually poor. I said, good. We, held, we, we hid that pretty well. <laughs> uh, we had everything we needed. We had enough. And the Lord continued to bless that. And, but that journey was a scary journey. You did not know necessarily how you're going to run ministry. You've been a part of church work 13 years of your ministry life. You don't know what it looks like to be out on your own creating new stuff. And so for us, it was a terrifying event, but one obviously worth taking. And you are probably have been or will be in that same position to where sometimes God will call you to do something that's missionary driven, even in your own neighborhood and on your own street that you're not comfortable with. It might be talking to somebody you don't like. It might be a prejudice you may have. It may be an issue in your life you don't want to deal with. Maybe I'm not good at this. Maybe I'm quiet. They want, I, I, I'm not good at being up front. Whatever God is calling you to, that may be a fearful thing for you. But it is a step of faith. Jonah chapter 1, verse 3. We're going to move through this. Your life on mission, as we just talked about, might scare you. But Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship that was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, boarded it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Anything in this sound like he's not afraid? This whole passage just sounds like a guy running. We're going to look at a, show, show us the map there, guys, if you would. This is a map of where we're talking about. So Joppa is down at the bottom. That's where he went. He lives right outside Joppa. Nineveh was 550 miles from where he was supposed to go. He decided to take a ship to Tarshish, which is now 2,500 miles the opposite direction. <laughs> Do you think he could run any further? <laughs> Tarshish was known as the furthest city known to mankind during this time period. This is as far as you could go. It's just an interesting symbol to me that Jonah ran from God as far as he could go because he was too afraid and too uncomfortable and too whatever to go do the calling of his mission in Nineveh. So I would say to you, that's pretty common with us. Uh, I would say also to you, we teach in our ministry that where there is no comfort, there comes growth. 
when you get comfortable, you're going to lose your job. I can attest to that three or four times. <laughs> you just get where you feel like you got it figured out and where God's taken, you know, it's, it's not God anymore. It's really you steering this thing. And I always tell our team, when you're comfortable, I probably won't have you here next year. It's just not a good place for you to be. It's not a good place for me to be. I don't learn when I'm not, when I'm comfortable. I just don't. I don't trust in the Lord when I'm comfortable. And somebody goes, well, why doesn't God want us to be comfortable? I think God wants us to be content, not comfortable. Mission does not bring comfort. It brings contentment. So Jonah ran as far away as he could go. Uh, and his life on mission basically teaches us uh, in this passage here that sometimes we just are afraid and we run. But it also teaches us as we go through this that there's something that we're running from. And I don't know what that is for you. I don't know what you're afraid of. I don't know what you're running from that God's put in front of you. But we all have to answer that question. And so today I challenge you on that missional statement. What are you afraid of and what are you running from? Because there are real things that the devil puts in us. Let's move on. John and Jonah chapter 1. <clears throat> we'll move on into verse 5. Then the sailors became afraid and every man cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Isn't that what we usually do? We just start throwing things away. <laughs> when times get tough, we just start getting rid of everything. Friends, support, people we really need to lighten the load for them. But Jonah had gone below into the stern of the ship and laid down and fallen asleep. So my life missions might sometimes scare me at first, but I will say to you, running from God from my mission only causes bad consequences. We're going to look at verses 6, 7, and 8 here also. So I'm going to read that. So stay with me. So the captain approached him and said, Jonah, how is it that you are sleeping? He'd already gone downstairs. Get up and call on your God. But you also need to understand these guys were all pagans, so they had multiple gods. So it didn't matter who your God was, just call on him because something's gone bad. So perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not all perish. In verse 7, and each man said to his mate, come, let's cast lots so that we may find out on whose account this catastrophe has struck us. So they cast lots and they fell on who? Jonah. You think God had anything to do with that? God's like, I'm going to point this guy out for you guys so you understand exactly what this is going on all about. In verse 8, they said to him, tell us now on whose account has this, okay, has this catastrophe struck us? What is your occupation to Jonah? Where do you come from? What's your country? What, who are your people? What the heck is going on? We're going to lose our life because of you. Answer some questions. Intriguing to me how God brought all that to the forefront. But when you run from God and run from our mission, this passage of Scripture teaches you and me that there are consequences to those around us, to ourselves, to our families. Verses, uh, we're going to run to chapter 2, verse 3. For you threw me into the deep, this is Jonah talking after this, into the heart of the seas, and the currents flowed around me, and your breakers and waves passed over me. This just gets worse for Jonah, right? And then in verse 6, it says this. I descended to the base of the mountains. In other words, deep into the bottom of the sea. The earth was with its bars, was around me forever, but you have brought up my life from the pit, Lord my God. This is sort of, this is from the song of Jonah in chapter two, which we're not going to. But what I, this shows us is how low it gets when you run from the Lord. I have been to the place where I thought I was going to lose our mission, our ministry, my family, you name it. I've been that low during ministry. 
because of choices and things and running from God. I'm going to tell you, that is a terrible place to be. You do feel like you're at the bottom of the ocean, you're drowning, and it's gone downhill. It is downhill. And I encourage you to learn from Jonah and from other people ahead of you, you don't have to be there, particularly in mission, if you don't run from God. Four things it does when you run from God. These aren't on your sheet. I'm just going to throw them at you. Life goes downhill. Running has a price, spiritually, physically, mentally. God will oppose me when I run. This is interesting because I've felt this, and I'm sure you have. The wind that came and the ship and the, and the huge storm that came was God's, it says God sent this. It's an opposing wind. Why? Because he loves us enough to say, don't run from me. I want you back. And we're going, why are you hurting me, God? God's going, I'm not hurting you. I'm rescuing you. Jonah's going, why am I in the deep? God will eventually say, because I'm going to rescue you. But there is a cost to the sin of running. And this last one's a little tough one because it's hard for me to bear, and I'm sure it will be hard for you to bear this when you hear it, but when we run from God, uh, it hurts other people. So this is this phrase that I learned from Rick Warren. It's this idea of your sin may be private, but it is not personal. You may have secret sins that no one knows about in your life. Whatever keeps you from doing God's will in your life, whatever keeps you from doing the mission, and you think it's okay because nobody knows, nobody will be hurt, that's the most untrue statement you could probably say to yourself. It does hurt those around you. Whether I know your sin or not, it breaks my relationship with God. It breaks my relationship with many of you. If I'm sinning, even in private, it damages my neighborhood. It just flows out of us, and it, it breaks bonds that we don't even understand. And it was hurting a whole shipload of people that Jonah didn't even know. That's why these guys were asking a lot of questions. <laughs> Who are you? Where are you from? And what the heck have you done? Because we might die because of something you've done. Make sense? And we don't like to face that as believers. It doesn't sound fun. It doesn't sound kind. But it's not. It's, it's a real thing that the devil uses to break relationship. So as we've seen in this journey that Jonah had to make some decisions. And who are we hurting? And who was he hurting? In Jonah chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, it says this. He, so he said to them, I'm a Hebrew. He starts to answer some of these questions. And I fear the Lord God of heaven. So he introduces God of the Hebrew. And all of a sudden they know who his God is, who made the sea and the dry land. So he even tells them how big his God is by the creation story. In verse 10, it says this. Then the men became extremely afraid and said to him, what is wrong with you? How in the world would you do this? If you are serving this big of a God who they, some of them just been introduced to, if he is the creator of the heavens and the earth, why would you ever run and sin against him? How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he just told them that. So sometimes as we are on our journey and mission, this idea, the longer I run from God, the worse it gets. And this idea too, that we think that because we aren't comfortable or that there's something that scares us that it's okay if we go do something else, we can always find another ship. When he went to Joppa, there's always another ship. And I feel like the devil just supplies ships for us. Go do this instead. Try this one instead. It's still a good thing. 
Do this good thing, but don't do what God is calling you to do. And I think Jonah had this in his head that I, I can figure out other ways to serve the Lord. I just don't want to go do that. But that's your mission. That's your purpose. That's the calling. And God's going to pull you back to that, and there will be consequences to that. So in Jonah chapter 1, verse 11, Jonah does something here. So he said to them, Why should, what should we do to you so that the sea will be calm? And he said, uh, for the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. In verses 12, he says, he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you because I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. So Jonah, for the first time in his life here in a long time, did something very humble and uh, not, he gave up himself for a second. In other words, he said, for the sake of this ship, I'm willing to die. I, I need to give myself for you. Humility goes a long way when you're serving the Lord. And when you do mission, it's a very difficult thing. Stephanie and I, about three years into the ministry, realized that we weren't really yet following the mission. We had worked very hard for three years. We were very blessed in that sense, but we were doing stuff that really shouldn't have been done. Um, programmatically, I mean, we were running 14 different Bible studies in, through the week, which with two people's tough to do. You've got to get some volunteers for that, but you're doing a lot of those. Uh, we're running after schools in two or three different places, two or three hundred kids a day. So I'm leaving at six in the morning, getting home at six at night. I have five kids. I'm hopefully trying to help her raise. <laughs> I'm doing a terrible job. Uh, we're suffering. We're, we're wearing ourselves out. We realize this is not the mission we were called to. And at some point, we have to stop again and surrender ourselves and say, God, this is your work, not ours. You tell us what to do. I'm following you, but I keep stepping in front of you. And so we backed off of our dreams. I used to actually teach conferences on how to dream big. I threw all that stuff away. I said, we're not dreaming big enough because God's dreams have to be better than mine. And so I'm going to stop dreaming. Steph and I will stop dreaming. And we're just going to follow your work, Lord, and let you dream for us. And from that day forward, we started working just in two neighborhoods, Cleves and Price Hill. And that's been the best blessing we've ever accomplished in our life. And so that journey took a big shift when we realized I needed to surrender and give myself up. I'm challenging you today to surrender yourself to whatever the Lord is dreaming for you. I know you have plans for yourself. I would ask you to stop those and let God plan for you. And listen to his word as he teaches you what those are. I'm telling you from experience, they're much better than yours. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of you. Hear what that says? It is a gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one in this room may boast. I will not boast to you today about anything we do. I am gently saying to you, just be a servant, be obedient, and show up. And do what God is already doing. You have a calling, you have a mission, you have a neighborhood you live in. You are able to love people. Just show up and be obedient to that. And God will show you what to do. And it is not of you, it is of his hand. That's a fun way to live life. So Noah taught us very carefully here what to not to do and some things what to do. The interesting part of verses 12 and 13 we go back to Jonah 12. 
and we'll jump through that. And he said to them, pick me up, throw me into the sea, because on account of me, the storm has come upon you. And then verse 13, here's how these guys react. But now in Christ, whoop, there we go. We'll, we'll do this one. Okay, we'll go 14. Then they cried out to the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for you, Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they actually throw him into the ocean. And then they all of a sudden start praying to the Hebrew God, which I find interesting. So Jonah has asked to be thrown into the water. And what happens when he gets thrown into the water is when we do what God asks us to do, things start to calm down. This scripture says that the seas and the storm stop. What I've experienced in the last 23 years of ministry, blog ministries, is very simply this. It is the hardest job we've ever done. We work with 95% of the people in our life for trauma. Uh, boys, girls, men and women. It's just unbelievable. We've seen murders. We've found, we've found overdose deaths. We've revive people. We break up fights. We, you know, we can drive around the neighborhood. Uh, last year alone, we had 245 women who were being sex trafficking walk into one of our buildings throughout the year off of one street in Price Hill. A lot of hurt, a lot of heartache, um, a lot of damaged folks that just are broken. But it's the most joyful thing we've ever done. About a year ago, Stephanie and I were asking a woman to leave one of our homes. We have two homes for women to live in full-time, recovering from sex uh, trafficking and addiction. And one of the ladies had uh, done some stuff that, and, and been aggressive, and we, we asked her to step out for a day because the other girls weren't safe. And we came over that night together, and we asked her to leave. And we said, we'll work with you, but you can't stay here tonight. She goes into the kitchen, comes out, and she has two butcher knives in her hand. And... She immediately came after me, so I pick up a chair and obviously put that between the two of us. And she runs around the table, gets on Stephanie, pushes Stephanie down, literally has a butcher knife against her scalp and one at me, and she's threatening to stab us both, all that kind of stuff. Strangely enough, it was the calmest, I don't know how you, I mean, you don't know how you're going to react until you get there, but it was the calmest event that I've ever experienced in that kind of situation that she was praying that the Lord would just bless us and keep us and protect us. I was praying the same thing. Uh, and the girls screaming at us, obviously, threatening to stab both of us because we were going to ask her to leave the house. Unbeknownst to her, this was really the reason why we were asking her to leave the house. <laughs> now you see the problem, all right? <laughs> uh, bad illustration. Uh, she came at me, finally walked away from Stephanie, and said, put the chair down. I said, well, there's two things true going to happen. One is, you're going to have to leave. Two is, this chair is not going anywhere, right? This stay between you and I and the two butcher knives. Uh, threw the knives down, ran upstairs. The police came. We had her arrested and actually worked with her more down the road. But the point being is this. It was the most, we both walked away, Steph and I, later. And for a week later, debriefing this stuff, my wife is a licensed counselor, so we weren't running from this. But the idea was it was the most calm event that we trusted the Lord with, that, that we had no idea it would end up that way. Uh, I was afraid for the next month I'd be waking up at three in the morning <laughs> in a cold sweat, thinking of a lady standing over me with two butcher knives. That never occurred. 
And it's nothing we did other than the fact that I tell you, God brings this calming in your life, even in the storm, when you are following his mission. I can't explain that to you. It's just what he promises to do. And he is faithful. So when you follow the mission of God and you're obedient in a servant way, things calm down. And as we see in verse 15 uh, and verse 14, uh, we're going to see what happens to these guys. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea stopped raging. Verse 16 says this, Then the men became extremely afraid of the Lord, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. These are pagans who all of a sudden are making vows and sacrifices to this Hebrew God. So when you follow your mission, not only does thing, do things calm down, but unbelievers believe. I find this fascinating. It's, not, it's the best piece of evangelism I've ever seen. Just live out your mission. Love people. Love your neighbors. And unbelievers believe because they see something different in you. It's called the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Jesus at work. There's a lady in Cleves that we worked with. Her family was known in the neighborhood as the family that if it was broken, beaten, or stolen, you'd, you'd go to her door. Her kids would be the ones that done it. <laughs> uh, we worked with her. She raised three generations of family that they were all known for this. Um, the police came to our after-school program every day, uh, at least, looking for one of the, her family members. It was just nuts for years. So we worked with that family for about 15 years. She was dying. Her son, Rick, was about my age, and we worked with him and his kids. Uh, but Rick was one of those guys that still every third word was the F word, uh, but he showed up every day to help me run an after school, even though I didn't want him there, honestly. <laughs> uh, I brought him in, and he kind of hung out with me. He would, we would do the weight room together. We would do basketball together. We would do everything together. And again, it wasn't my request, but God brought him to me. And so for years we worked together, but he called me one night and said, mom's dying. Would you come and visit with her? So I immediately left and drove to her home in Cleves. And I sat with her and she was dying. I mean, she didn't have much time to live. And I said to her, mom, I said, I know you've had a long life, a rough life. What can I do for you? She goes, I need the Lord. And so I took her confession. Sorry. Um, six hours later, she was gone. But that was all right. Um, when I was 25 years old, I wouldn't think that would be fair to live your whole life and then the last six hours you get in, right? <laughs> but at this point in my life, after seeing enough stuff, any time is good that you can give your life to the Lord. If that's how God's journey was for her, so be it. Let's move that direction. It's not my call. My job was just to be obedient, go love her and hold her hand. And so at her funeral, I got to do her funeral. Obviously, the whole clan is there. And I mean, you should meet these folks. I, I'm from Kentucky and grew up in Appalachia. This is as good as it gets right there at this, this funeral, I'm telling you. Everybody's putting out the uh, marijuana outside so they can come in and hang out at the funeral home. So it was just an interesting day. But he said, just pray or something. I don't really care what you do. That's all I need, man. <laughs> if you don't care what I do, we're going to go at this. I, I share. I said, your grandmother, your mother came to the Lord last night, and uh, she would want the same thing for you. So we had this long conversation with her family. 
that the Lord allowed us to do because we followed the mission and unbelievers become believers. In our home where the women live up to two years, we've never had a woman that has come to live with us that has not given her life to Christ. Not one. Because the question is this every time, why do you love us like this? And we are able to say, because Jesus. And when they hear those stories and learn that mission, they want that. And there's not a one person that goes through that ministry that doesn't give their life to the Lord. No strings attached. You don't have to be a believer to be here. It's just the way God does mission with us and with you. It's as easy as that, even though it's hard to love people in the way that God asks you to love them on your street, in your neighborhood, at your workplace. You can do that mission there and unbelievers will be believers. And it'll surprise you. And then verse 17, it says this. And the Lord designated a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish for three days and three nights. And we're going to close with this passage right here because I think it's fitting. When you follow God's mission, things calm down. Unbelievers are believers. And God gives you mercy. There's a Hebrew word for when God says he provides a fish. It's manah, which means these things. God prepared, God custom made, God assigned, God appointed, God ordained. All those are things that God did for Jonah that he does for us. He ordains, appoints, assigns, gets things ready for us in our life as we do mission that take care of us. I have five great kids that grew up on the mission field. They're all married. Uh, four of them work with me in Price Hill. The fifth one lives in Green Township, and he's a firefighter. I have 18, almost 19 now, grandkids running around Price Hill streets in a good way, I hope. <laughs> we are blessed and by the mercy of God to be able to see our kids every day and work in ministry with them. I didn't expect that, but that is a gift of the Lord. I have six guys that started with me about 20 years ago, men not necessarily in a particular church, Catholic, Protestant, that started doing Bible study with me on Tuesday mornings at Price Hill Chile. We did that for years, and we've been together ever since. That was a merciful act of God. I would have been lost without those guys. These are the six most unlikely men to put in a room together that you can imagine. But they all love the Lord. Um, and what's cool about it is just how we have raised our families together. But that was a merciful act of life. I have 45 staff guys and women, families that live and work with us in Price Hill as missionaries. What a gift. What a community of people that comes together for mission to love each other, to love the Lord, to love the neighborhood, to do evangelism and discipleship. What a great, merciful gift. This church is a gift to you. This is part of that mercy. The reason you're growing is not because you have a growth plan. It's because you have a mission. And you're doing it. The reason people are showing up is because God is blessing the mission. And that's a cool piece to be a part of. But you also have individual missions where you live, work, and play. And maybe you need to move. 
to a different street. Maybe you need to quit what you're doing and start something else. I don't know what that is. I'm not going to tell you that. That's between you and the Lord. But those are mission pieces that you've got to figure out amidst this great piece of church here that you get to be a part of. We're going to close today. I challenge you to think about mission. What is your personal mission? And, and as you live out the mission of this church, I want you to hear this last prayer as my wife reads it as we bow together. Let this challenge you to be under God's will and to really wrestle with what am I called to do in mission so that my world can be calm, that unbelievers will believe, and that I will find mercy. Let's pray together. Oh, Christ.